the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez, and before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Starting with the one and only Mr. Scott Gershon. Scott, welcome. Hey, everybody. Uh, next, we have Mr. Brandon Birdside. What's up, Mike? What's up, guys? Good to see everyone. And then we have Mr. Nick Peck. <gasps> Hello, Mike. Hello, everybody. <laughs> good evening. I don't think I've been done a really big one like that for a while. So <laughs> just say hi to everyone. Uh, and finally, we've got the Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast. This is show number 215. Mr. Rob Arbiter. Hey, Mike. Hey, everybody. It's good to see everybody again. Hey, Rob. And today, I'm so excited. I mean, I've been excited for like all weekend ever since I got the confirmation that they were going to be you're, here. You're always excited, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But I am super excited because we have Mr. Dave Smith and Mr. Andrew McCowan from Sequential joining us today. We're going to talk about the reintroduction of the prophet five so dave and andrew welcome thank you Thanks. this is awesome <laughs> and uh we're gonna spend some time the, the whole time talking about that because there's so much to talk about uh, but before we uh talk about that um you know i just have to mention that you know a couple days ago um eddie van halen passed away and that really struck a chord with me because he was such like he redefined guitar in rock and roll, you know, and he made popular that the hammer on lick and his, his, his playing style and his showmanship. And he made like, he was a joy to watch. If you ever saw him in concert, he was just so fun. And, uh, and I just wanted to mention a little something about that because he was such a legend. And uh, did anybody ever, I, I didn't have a chance to work with him. I know he used API gear, but I've mm -hmm. never had a chance to actually meet him. But any of you guys, did you ever uh, meet Eddie or, or have a chance to work with him? I worked, huh? with, I worked with the band for about a year. Did you? Um, I did, about 10 years ago. Um, I was the audio director of an Activision video game studio, and we were tasked with doing Guitar Hero Van Halen. And so the result of that was that I worked with Ed and with Alex and with Wolf, uh, Ed's, Ed's son and, and Alex's nephew, uh, for about a year on the game. Um, among other things, I got to remix the entire Van Halen canon uh, wow. for the game, which was amazing. I, I mean, I could talk for an hour about this. Um, I'll just put in a couple of very, very quick stories if I could. And of course, sure. I'm extremely sad about it. Um, so the first one is, uh, Eddie had such amazing ears, which I didn't think was even possible considering how many years he'd sat in front of, you know, huge stacks of guitar amps and stuff. Um, I had put some EQ at about 17K to just sort of roll off the very top of it to make sure that, you know, that there was nothing there that I didn't want before converting to MP3. And he heard it. Um, he heard it. And I was like, wow. how is that even possible? Uh, because of Ed, we rewrote the, um, the engine for Guitar Hero to be able to up the ante as far as the, the, the resolution of the MP3s that we could play. So it was, you know, before that it had been fairly low resolution, but we pushed it as hard as we could and took CPU away from the, the frame rate to be able to up the quality level of the music itself. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, that was really, really cool. 
Um, he was a fascinating guy. And Alex was an incredible gentleman. Ed was a character. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave one more quick story, which is I will never forget sitting in his house, in his workshop, and he was designing his own guitars for PV at the time, these like EVH guitars where he was literally in his woodshop, you know, designing the guitar neck and designing the body to his spec and all of that stuff. And I, I'll never forget him sitting right in front of me and picking up one of his guitars that wasn't plugged in. And, you know, he had these hands, which I thought would be like these long fingers. They weren't. They were like these sort of stubby hands like that would belong to a carpenter or something. Mm. But, of course, his facility was incredible. And, you know, he was standing there, you know, with the guitar two feet in front of my face doing all of the hammer-on stuff, all of this stuff. And I, I, I just said to myself... I'm listening to the guy that like defined guitar for the 1980s. <laughs> and it was just, it was such an honor. Mm. And it was such a, it was an experience I will never forget. And hard, hard to top a career experience like that, I would say. Wow. Well, you know what? We lost, we lost a legend and uh, it just, you know, my heart goes out to the family and um, thank God we had him for as long as we did. And like, I'm, there's some jamming going on in heaven <laughs> right now, you know? All right. Well, we're going to segue from that to, well, there's just no smooth way to do this. Jump. Yeah. This is going to be a jump. I'll tell you what. We'll just do a jump cut. There you go. There we go. There we go. We're going to talk about the reintroduction of, uh, of the Prophet 5. But before we even get into that, I just got to say, you know, I've always been a huge uh, sequential fan. The, the very first keyboard that I actually touched was a six track and it just changed my life. And uh, later on, I was talking with Andrew and there was a good chance that he made that six track that wow. I, <laughs> that I had touched uh, over at uh, Saddleback College. And then when I was teching the very first keyboard that I came across was a profit five. And let me tell you, it was just, it was like having like a Ferrari, just like, here you go. You gotta, you gotta work with this. Cause back then, you know, I mean, it was a profit five. That was the keyboard to have. And it was just really great. So I've always been a big fan of, of sequential. And then I found out last week through the announcement that the profit five was coming back. And then I made a phone. I mean, I actually sent an email. Well, I, I called up Joanne from sequential and I said, Hey, do you think they'll do the podcast? I really want to talk about it. And I, she said, I sent him an email. So I sent him an email. Dave said yes. And then I've been excited ever since. Here so Dave, are. here you are. <laughs> um, here I am. I'm, I'm so start. excited. So let's just start. Like, tell us about what brought you to the point to reintroduce the profit five. I just thought that was never going to happen, but here we are. Me too. Uh, you know, and I'm on record many times saying, oh, why would I do a profit five? I already did it once. Why would I do it again? Blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, I basically, that was my mindset. I'm always looking forward to whatever it is that we're designing and building next. Uh, but actually this time, you know, my memory shots. So I, you know, I pick, things to remember, but uh, an acquaintance of ours, a guy in uh, Berlin, sent, out of the blue, sent me a, a uh, email, said, Dave, why don't you just do the Profit Five and make everybody happy and do it before Uli does it? So you really ought to do it. Mm. And for some reason, that email more than, I mean, we always talk about it, 
it's it's been a side topic for years and for some reason that just sort of resonated with me thanks pablo if you're listening to this uh he knows that i've sent him an email since uh and we started talking about it uh internally what tends to happen is uh whenever i get an idea i'll kind of ping andrew and when andrew gets an idea he pings me and you know most of the time things go nowhere and one of us will just say nah dumb idea whatever uh, and this was one of the ones where it just resonated with both of us and one of the first things that came up was having both filters because uh, we knew this new filter was coming out from SSI, uh, a Dave Rossum designed modern filter equivalent of the original 2040 that he designed back in 1977, probably. Uh, and that was, I think, maybe the key thing that really said, you know what, this would be awesome if we could encapsulate the Rev 1 and the Rev 2 and the Rev 3 and settle all the old stories once and for all. And uh, But at the same time, we didn't want to drastically change it. Uh, I don't know how many of you actually looked at it. I mean, there's, there's one right here, and it looks virtually identical. I think we added two knobs and a, a handful of switches, mostly to add USB and modern crap that you have to have these days that yeah, there we go. There's the photo. Um, so the next major step, and it was just kind of another one of these things that just showed up, was doing a vintage knob because it's it's one thing to switch between the filters, but there's a whole lot more going on because you know what happened is this a lot of design was going on during just as a pandemic started. So I was stuck at home with the very first prototypes and a Rev three. And so I had to kind of learn how to Rev3 worked. I was finding bugs in the original hardware design and uh, things that actually affected the sound. And we just kind of collectively realized that, well, if we do it right, we could model this vintage knob. And it's it's different than our old slot knobs that some of you guys are familiar with. It's yep. It does a lot more. It's... Uh, we find it very musical and there's some sweet spots on that knob, depending on the sound you're playing that just, it, it's hard to describe without, uh, and, and you know, we just stuck the knob on there and said, well, we'll just define it in software later. Uh, but once we got to that point when everything else was running, it was like, it's like, wow, it's like this, this is the key to this instrument, that and having the two filters and everything else being, a profit five and it just and i'm bab babbling beyond uh, your initial question but no uh, that's that's <laughs> what you're here for Dave. Uh, that's that's right okay <laughs> I'm, I'm approved to keep going uh, but yeah i'll just leave it at that for now uh and you could probably fill in i mean there's a million things we, we can tangents we can go on but uh, well uh, you know as dave said the, the key things for me the real hook mm -hmm. was uh the ability to put the two filters in there as soon as we started talking about that it was like okay yeah we should do this um, hey andrew what did you when he first came to you what was your first response was it like no, i was shocked was it like really uh it was like really you want to do that because you know he forever he has said he's not going to do it <laughs> so yeah it was I, I just kind of like dumb amazement dude. i was like it wore him down really? <laughs> <laughs> well maybe i think it's just simpler than that i i lied <laughs> I was planning it for the last 40 years. I knew I was going to do this. 
Yo, I remember I went to the 40th anniversary of the Prophet Five, and That's I, remember, right. I remember talking, and you were you were not exactly positive about it ever, you know, coming back. But, but not then. Uh, yeah, it, it was <laughs> still. It was still. It was. This was probably what a year ago, maybe uh, last summer. Yeah. That, that, that the idea gained a little bit of traction because we are still finishing up the Pro Three. Uh, and you know, we always try to get our next product lined up and the pro three ended up being a real difficult baby to get out the door, uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, of course it paid off cause it's an awesome synth too, but, um, yeah, most of them technical, not, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> not no, design just, problems no. really, but, <clears throat> but we at least started talking up the P five and some of the concepts started coming in. And, uh, once, once we started rolling, it was just so much fun. It was, uh, I, I had a blast working on it. I don't think I've had that much fun in a long time. Uh, and I like designing all of our instruments. Uh, let me rephrase that. I don't design all of our instruments, but the parts that I do, I always really enjoyed. But this this one, I think, was uh, special. Hey, Andrew, really quick, uh, why don't you uh, just introduce yourself and tell uh, people what you do over at uh, over at Sequential? Because everybody knows who Dave Smith is, and I just want to introduce you because you're yeah, in there I, the whole I, time. I kind of like people not knowing who I am, but... Um, <laughs> So uh, I started working at Sequential Circuits in 1979 when I was 20. Uh, I started out as an electromechanical assembler building uh, Rev2 Profit 5s. Um, did various things there over the years. Uh, I, for, for most of my working life, that was the longest I'd ever worked somewhere. I worked at Sequential for almost nine years um, and then worked at Yamaha for a little bit after Yamaha bought Sequential. Uh, worked. Uh, I worked at Passport Designs, music software mm. company. Uh, I worked at Sear Systems um, with Dave, uh, software synthesizer company. Um, and uh, you know, I was I actually kind of got out of the music business for about ten years. I was contracting, doing various things, um, and then Dave called me in uh, what. November of 2006 uh, and said, hey, I'm getting tired of doing this by myself. I'd like some help. Uh, actually, I think he said he wanted to get out on his bike more. Um, and said, would, would you like to help me? And, uh, and yeah, it was perfect timing. I had just ended a contract at uh, Electronic Arts. And uh, so I started at Dave Smith Instruments, right, you know, whatever the first work day of 2007 uh and have been there since um tell them your original title <laughs> my original title card. since there were just the two of us was i, I was the other guy um that was that <laughs> was actually that right on, on my it was on my business cards yes <laughs> Dave Smith, the other guy that's yeah. fantastic that um, is amazing oh. and uh amazingly uh, one of the great things about dave is he He's not a micromanager. Um, he is very trusting of people. Maybe I, I shouldn't say he's too trusting, but you know, he put his trust in me to do various things that I was not expecting to do. Um, the first of which was that very shortly after I started, he asked me to do the, the graphic design and the mechanical design of the Profit 08, which is... <laughs> uh, 
I had had no experience doing that. I had some graphic design experience, but um, not anything like that. Uh, and so, and I've just kind of kept doing that. So uh, that's, that's what I do. I do the front panel layouts and uh, I do the mechanical design of the products. That's fantastic. Uh, it's, it's, it's more than that. Uh, I, I think uh, that probably Andrew is uh, clearly the, the lead design guy and con conceptual guy. Uh, like I said earlier, when the two of us agree on something, then that usually settles it. And when we when I say that, it doesn't mean that we don't get tons of contributions from everybody else, because virtually everybody in the company is a synth nut and has tons of ideas and everything interweaves. And so it's never a black and white thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's there's been a lot of sense where Andrew just comes up with this idea and then draws a panel and I kind of go, holy shit. And then if we do this, it would be even better. And then he goes, holy shit. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> before it, we know it. it uh, a perfect example is in the, the pro three. Um, when I did the initial drawing right from the start, I had oscillator three as a, <clears throat> excuse me, a digital oscillator, a wavetable oscillator, um, mostly because I wanted to have, uh, a sine wave, sine wave sub and uh, complex LFOs because oscillator three as on a certain other synthesizer can be switched to uh, <laughs> low frequency mode. Um, and, and that was really about it. So there was just this knob on there for oscillator three that was a wavetable oscillator. And the other guys really kind of ran with that. And it, it did almost nothing up until almost the end of the, the synth. Um, and then uh, the other guys really kind of jumped in and, and made that what it is, which is like way beyond what I had initially uh, envisioned. Yeah, we do that sometimes. We have placeholder knobs or features and that the vintage knob was the same way i mentioned that earlier it was well we have to have this and we kind of had an idea what it might do but it wasn't until later in the project that we implemented it and yeah it was very late in the game when we defined what a wavetable really was but you know what that's that's very consistent with with you guys that's what you guys are like the you know the slop knob and then the, the the distortion knob and you know all that really fun different knobs and all the different modules that you have it's just it adds that extra little something to each and every one let me talk let's talk about that version knob and let's let's go back to the versions of the profit five you know we got v1 v2 v3 first of all were the v1s as bad as what people are saying as far as <laughs> I mean bad, bad in a reliability sense, but yes. awesome in the way they sounded. Right. That's and that's what you hear. You hear that they're like they sound great, but sometimes they were just they it have a little it's, reliability problem. <laughs> sometimes, like all the time. <laughs> there were only 182 of those. Really? Uh, yeah. You know, and so there's very few of them in the wild right now, especially functioning uh, rev ones. Now, were those the ones that were hand built? Were those the like the hand assembled ones? Like the they were all hand assembled. Yeah. Really, uh, we had our own factory, uh, so we had people putting parts on the circuit boards and wave soldering them and clipping leads and wiring them up and wow. uh, putting it together and testing it and fixing them. And yeah, it was hand -built. I ran the wave solder machine for a while. 
<laughs> it's, a, it's amazing your brain isn't toasted then. Yeah. <laughs> some good chemicals in that stuff. Yeah, no kidding. Well, maybe it is. I used to put <laughs> army men in there and watch him melt. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so then you went to, to V2. What was, what was the defining uh, difference between the V1 and the V2? You know, I don't remember the details. It was the same chips chipset. We were still using solid state music. Uh, okay. I think I just probably tweaked the boards enough to make it more reliable than the Rav ones. Uh, but it was still, you know, somewhat basic. I think it was more just so we could actually build a few more because the other ones were just so hard to get out the door. Gotcha. Uh, but it was basically the same product, same sound, uh, maybe just not quite as sloppy as the very first ones. And then you went to V3. Um, yeah. After Red, that, you changed chipsets. Yeah, because we were just talking about this today, maybe, because uh, we started shipping in maybe March, April of 78. And the Rev 3, as close as we can remember, came out in 1980, maybe 81 even. Uh, and during that time, we only built 1,200 total profit fives, uh, as partly because we, you know, we just couldn't keep up. Partly because the chipsets didn't work very well. A lot of time we'd have to reject whole batches of them because you know you plug them in and the you know release time would go from I forget. I think it went from 30 seconds down to one second when they got hot, or maybe it's the other way around. Stuff like that, and so we just realized we had to change the chipset if we expected to stay in business. Uh, and then that spawned the whole, uh, you know, this Curtis Parts Rev Two sounds so much better, and blah 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 blah. Yeah. And you know, I've always argued that I think they sound different. Uh, but one of the things that we actually realized while building the Rev4 as part of the vintage knob was that so much of that sound that everybody liked was the envelopes being all over the place. Uh, you know, the perfect case of that, and this is actually on an Oberheim, but it's the same thing as the Tom Sawyer patch. Uh, the OBX, you know, had the same problem. The envelopes were just all over the place. And that's why that one particular sound is so great is because every voice is going at a different rate in a different time mm -hmm. and you put it together and it's just awesome. And it's the same on the Rev 2s. You hit a, you know, you play a pad and it just seems so thick because, you know, it's, it's, the envelopes are all different. The tuning is all different. The filters are all different. It, it's, that's half, I, mean, I, I won't put a percentage on it, but that's a huge part of why, a Rev 3 sound different than the Rev 2s because the Rev 3s were much tighter. They weren't perfect either, but they were much tighter on all parameters. Yeah, so I, I have a Rev 2 Profit 5. And um, when I first got the, <laughs> the Rev 4, um, I, I brought it home and set it up next to the Rev 2 and, and started trying to see how close that I could get. And I was extremely worried because it was... It was not close at all. It was like, uh, man, this is just not happening, and I'm not sure why. Um, and then shortly after that, the first sort of real implementation of vintage was done, and I, I updated the OS, and all of a sudden it was like, wow, okay, I can actually make it sound like that. <laughs> what, did you have to add in a little chaos? Is that basically, you know, you had to... Had to add a little. Well, not wanting to give away any trade secrets, sure. but it's you know as you, as you know from our slot knob, that was 
that was different because it was time varying and you know only on pitch. Uh, this goes a lot further and it's just implemented differently. But the idea is that you know as you turn the knob up, all the voices tend to loosen up in many different ways. Uh, and again, even if you go all the way to the end, it's actually still playable. Whereas if you turn slop all the way up, it's usually not playable unless you're on <laughs> that effect. Um, but it's it's turned out really musical. And like I said, you'll, you'll all try it at some point. We're, we just started shipping this week. The units are going out the door. Some people have already got them. So uh, they'll be out soon. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, it's nice because you can still get totally modern sounds out of it too, where that's warranted. If you want everything like tight and solid and, uh, you know, perfect, you yeah. can get that, but you can also get the vintage thing. The vintage and, thing. You know, yeah. I'll use the software synth if I want something that's perfect <laughs> exactly. uh, yeah but perfect it, it's still at vcos so they're you know yeah. even though the uh tuning is perfect you know they may only be you know a tenth of a hertz off if that they're still vcos yeah so, that's true I, i'm sorry anytime somebody says soft I, I was saying that sarcastically <laughs> i hate software too. i am the biggest hardware guy out there i, I could um, tell from the uh, what's behind yeah. you yeah, yeah. Uh, I, hey, I have a quick question. Uh, can sure. I jump in on this? Um, Absolutely. And, and that is, you know, owning an OB6 and soon hopefully being the, the owner of a wonderful new Profit 5 uh, as well. Did you guys have to resist the temptation to put DSP um, reverb and delay and stuff like that on board? It came up. Uh, I think there might it might have been on a list at one point and then it we just all realized that, you know, if we go down that road, we're just going to end up with the Prophet 6. Yeah. And now there's, they're two different instruments. They're, they're completely different. You yeah. know, they have their own sound. You know, Prophet 6 actually has a lot more features. It's more portable. There's a lot of really, well, you guys know, it's, it's, a, it's an awesome axe. But uh, no, it's a slippery slope. Uh, and yeah. on a normal product, uh, trying to decide where to stop. And on this guy, it was absolutely critical that we stop things like that in its tracks and just said, no, no, we're not doing it. <laughs> One of the really eye-opening things uh, with this instrument, you know, as someone who has, uh, I won't say playing because I'm not a keyboard player, but playing with uh, Prophet Fives for uh, whatever, 40 years, um, is that the addition of just a few features uh, can totally change your approach to the instrument and the way you play it and the sounds you make, uh, which is is kind of amazing. I mean, even things that seem as minor as adding uh, half keyboard tracking on the filter, uh, or um, there, it's got a very simple uh, uh, velocity implementation. It's just a switch. You can either have um, filter or amplifier or both. Uh, velocity modulation and j just having velocity on a profit five suddenly makes you like do <laughs> different things yeah that, that that blew us all away on that one it was like that whoa. is yeah really? that's that's one of the things i'm looking forward to because i'll tell you i gotta tell you a story about the, the original profit five so i started touring in the 90s the profit had been out since you know the early 80s and uh and i got my hands on a profit five and so 
I'm keyboard tech in and telling the guys to set everything up and I'm having them run, you know, stereo lines to everything. I didn't know it was only a mono output. <laughs> well, that's a good point. There was a time when we were considering stereo output and it was just like the FX. We just said, no, I, no, I'm, it's mono. And if we figured if people, you know, we were, all these things go through our heads about what, how people are going to respond and our answer became on almost anything when people says, how come it's only mono? How come it doesn't have this? It's just because it's a profit five. Exactly. Shut and, up. I, it's a profit five. That's what it does. You know, that's what so many people don't understand. Like, uh, you know, I, I did some research and I'm going on through all the boards and everything. And they're just saying, well, is it going to dilute the whole profit? And there's all these different profits. And damn you, I just bought this profit and that and, and everything. And I'm like, I, I don't think anybody actually of these guys actually looked at the back just to see the output, just like what a profit five was, you know? And, and if they did, they would understand where it fits in and why it is such a big deal. Yeah. We even went so far as to put the original and the original has a CV and a gate output and CV and gate in. We, we did it. We implemented it the same way. So whatever last note it goes out, CV and gate, and if you have a gate plugged in, it takes over voice five. And so you can plug whatever you want into it. You know, one volt per octave, five octave range. It's, uh, you know, and some people actually use that these days because modular is back to no small degree. But, uh, yeah, there's, it, it, there are other funny things that we implemented. And then we kind of said, well, we might want to give them an alternate way of doing that in the global section because people do things differently than they did back then. I'll tell you, one of the great things about the Profit 5 that I think is the mono output and the fact that it's going to, what makes it so relevant to today is, is the fact that you have these sonic possibilities with the vintage and the version knobs that can just take, take synthesis to a, just a whole new level. And it's a great source just straight into recording or with all the ways you can modulate sound now with all the different effects and all the different things if you run it into live and then use like movement from output and do some really cool i mean there's just so many possibilities and you've got such a beefy base you've got you've got the the sequential profit five bed that's just so iconic so i'm really looking forward to that let me ask you david and andrew are you guys afraid though are you is is there going to be um a dilution of the the profit line or are we like you've got everything covered i mean you have a really great chart by the way i just want to encourage people if they want to see where you know all the profits lay into the whole the whole thing you got it that great pdf that you can download but um any fear of diluting the profit line? Or, uh, I mean, how do you feel about that? Diluting it how? I, I'm not sure like, I quite understand I just, the... just there's, uh, you know, just a, a, is there room for another profit in there? <laughs> is there room for, I mean, is it's like people, people are under the wrong assumption that all these keyboards are kind of the same because they kind of look at the profit as, oh, mm -hmm. profit's this and profit's that, profit this. And I'm just yeah. wondering it. Fender this, fender that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's always the thought that, okay, if we come out with this, are people going to stop buying profit sixes? You know, it seems like, you know, because I did kind of say six years ago that the profit six has the soul of the profit five, you know, obviously <laughs> looked somewhat like it, even though it was a different instrument. It, I think it really does have the same analog soul, but it's not a profit five. Uh, and we thought, well, maybe fewer people buy profit sixes, but 
hasn't happened yet. People are still ordering them. We're still shipping them. So, uh, but yeah, it is. If, if you don't understand what the cents are, you know, it's hard. Well, is a profit twelve like a profit five? Well, of course not. But unless you play them both, uh, you won't know. So you, right. you have to hope that people at least go out and try it. I gotta say too, as a as a player. Stepping in front of any of these instruments brings out something completely different. You know, even if there's some similarity to a sound source, it's immediately negated by the fact that you play completely differently with them and you grab the knobs and you come up with completely different stuff. So there, there's so much about the design of the instrument that's an inspiration to the players that, I mean, I think maybe seeing the word profit on it, if somebody's not a player, makes them think, oh, these must all be related. But the truth is, as a player, you're going to come out with totally different stuff on each one. Thank you. Yeah, that's, how many that's, synthesizers have Ro- has Roland made in the last Jupiters, JPs, JX, three P, you know, all of these different things, and they're all different. They're all different. So and they're all digital. Unfortunately, now yeah. <laughs> there was a period of about 15 years when they were all exactly the same. So they did make that. Mistake. You mean the Rompler stuff? But <laughs> yeah, but I mean the era of the Junos and the Jupiters and the JX series and all of that. Yeah. Those I rotate great. the camera. Yeah, that era is well represented. There we go. The SH 101. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, and it, it is kind of funny that those were all analog or partially analog synths. You're absolutely right. From the originals. Point. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to, you know, branding is branding. And, you know, we, we're we actually tired of using the profit name. Uh, obviously, you know, maybe this will be the last one. I don't know, uh, you know, because it does get confusing uh, after a while. But uh, your comments, Rob, are exactly what we try to do on our designs. We try to make them all have their own personality. And we see this all the time, you know, not these days, but when we asked you can have visitors in our demo room at, in our office, you know, people would come in and for a long time it was like, do you want the Prophet 6 or the OB6? And you just watch them go back and forth. And some people would immediately go to the, just go, uh, love the Oberheim sound. The others would just love the P6 sounds. Other people can't decide, so they buy both eventually. But they're, they're clearly, even though they have some physical similarities and feature similarities, they're completely different musical instruments. So it's just fun to be able to give people variety and choices of what exact personality you want out of your instrument, what gives you the most inspiration. Yeah, well, it's, no. to some extent, it's what gives us the most inspiration too, because it's um, it's not it's not like we sit down when we finish a product and think, okay, what profit are we going to make now? <laughs> we we come up with something that we think is interesting and that would be fun to work on, and we make it. It's mm. not uh, I, <laughs> the name is kind of insignificant in a way, but yeah, it's, they're, they're not all the same keyboards in different versions. They're all different instruments. And, and I have yeah. a profit 12 and I also have a profit X and they are just total opposites on both sides. So yeah, I just, that's one of the things I wanted to stress is the fact that, you know, you go on these boards and you go and you look at some of these comments and people think it's the same instrument, and all these different versions. No, it's different keyboards and they all do different things. And that's, what's great about the PDF that you guys put out. You know, you, you tell exactly what each synth is, what they each does, and and where it kind of lands on the whole, on the whole spectrum. So I, I really yeah. I really think that's great. Well, it's like looking at a wall of acoustic guitars and saying, "Well, what's the difference? They all look the same." Or you know, all these 
everything has six strings, you know, how could they possibly be different? But I will let you in on one inside secret on the Prophet X as far as naming. We tried really hard to come up with an alternate name for that. And I think we finally gave up and said, let's just call it a Prophet something. And somebody said, well, how about Prophet X, you know? <laughs> and we just kind of said, okay, because, you know, there were times where we don't, and that would have been a good one to have a new name on, but it's really, really hard now to come up with a name. Somebody would come up with something great, and you do a search, and there's some wacko software thing somewhere that has that name. <laughs> or somebody used it, you know, 20 years ago on a synth or a keyboard or something. So it's it's not easy to come up with a good name. So if any of you guys have some really good names, send me an email. <laughs> so the Prophet X is the Susudio of keyboard names. <laughs> uh, well, and I will tell you that it has to be the Prophet X. Don't call it a Prophet 10 because there's no. only one Prophet yeah. 10. All right. Well, except now there's two. Yeah. Yeah, now there's two. And we, we have actually had one dealer a few days ago because we had the Prophet 5 and the 10, and, and he had a picture of the dual manual for the 10 on their website. <laughs> and we had to say, uh, Excuse me, that's not the right one. <laughs> We've had a lot of people who are connecting. I had another uh, connection in LA, so a good friend. And he said, Well, I said, Do you want the five or the ten? He says, Well, I don't really need the extra keyboard, so I'll get the five. And I said, <laughs> Well, let's, yeah, you know what? Let's, let's talk about the, let's talk about the ten. Is the, the main difference uh, the, the extra voices, the five extra voices? The, that, is that, that's is that, it. And, and you know, you probably, I don't know if you watched the intro video, uh, but you know, it's, it's that's what I tried to do the very first time. Uh, the, right. the, you could buy it as a profit five or profit ten. I think out of the first ten units we shipped, probably half of them were profit tens. I think, uh, and they just you know the rev ones were unreliable as it was, and you tried to do ten voices, and it was just yeah, not worth it. I think there's as far as we know, there's one functional profit ten still in the world. I think in Canada maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's rumors of one or two others, but I don't know that they actually work. But, uh, so that's a very rare one. But now, now it's back. Now you get the real thing, and it actually works. I'll tell you, the one thing I love about the old Prophet Tendo is when it came out, that was the sexiest keyboard known to mankind. Like, would you see that thing? I'll never forget in Keyboard Magazine seeing a picture of that, and I was just... I, I, it was just drool worthy. It was it was it was like a pinup if you were a synth nerd. You know, it, it, it's like Jimmy Page with like the double the twelve string <laughs> and the six string electric double neck guitar. It's it's just yeah. as awesome. One it of was, my uh, one of my favorite yeah. user synthesizer modifications was uh, on a Prophet Ten when when we first started shipping the two manual Prophet Ten. Uh, it had a backup tape drive that was in the lower front left, like the one in your picture there. Um, and the tape drive was very, very unreliable. So we changed to another one, but it was in the, it was like a little micro cassette or mini cassette kind of tape, and it was in the side panel. So if you converted your original Profit 10, well, original two manual Profit 10, uh, to the new tape drive, it left this hole in the front. And one of the customers found a uh, an ashtray from a car that fit right in that hole. <laughs> so he, he actually had an ashtray in the front of his Prophet 10. Oh, oh, he was smoking around a Prophet 10? <laughs> well, that was in the days where people smoked inside. Oh, I know. It's hard to imagine that now. <laughs> it really is. Hey, Brandon. Uh, first of all, Brandon yeah. was the one who introduced me to how to use the slop knob 
correctly. And uh, what do you think of uh, of all? Because I know you had the Prophet Twelve, and and mm-hmm. just, I want to get you involved in this conversation on the on the Prophet Five. You ever play an original Prophet Five? I never have. That was my first. You know, it was uh, uh, just a little back. You guys all know this, but for the for Dave and Andrew, you know, I I grew up on soft synths. You know, and Prophet uh, Twelve was my first actual synth. You know, it's the it's digital, but it's got those analog filters, right? So that was my first intro into actual synths, and it, and I've I got some great sounds out of it, and still do. But yeah, me and Mike had a conversation about that. Uh, to get that analog feel more of an analog feel out of it in that slop knob knob goes a long way. And, uh, there was something, uh, one of the, uh, like distortions or saturators, a little bit of that helped as well. And you can get oh, some really the nice drive control. <clears throat> yeah. The drive one, you can get some really nice, not in front of me right now. Right. Look at the knob, but you can get some really nice, you know, for a digital synth, very analog sounding stuff out of that stuff. That's, uh, the drive control that Bob Coover, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bob Coover was responsible for that. And it's actually the tape saturation from a, uh, an Echoplex model. Wow. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. It's gorgeous. When you start playing it and you hit, you hit a little bit, you put a little fuzz on, on some of your sounds, man. It's just, poof. it's, it's <laughs> just, it's just a great, great sound. Yeah, you can I take that one very, I'm sorry, very aggressive as well. You know, yeah. you can do like nine inch nails type, you know, aggressive stuff with some of those distortions. Cool. That's that's amazing. Do one well, of my favorites. <laughs> let me let me ask you guys. So obviously you make this announcement, it comes out, and you see all the the stuff that that comes back. Does any of the negative comments? Does it any of that stuff surprise you? <laughs> because it surprises me, and and but I'm just wondering from you know from your perspective, you know, does does it surprise you? I I know it doesn't bother you because we've talked to you before, but are you ever amazed at like wow the trolls can just go all kinds of places? I go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, if if you spend any time online looking at any kind of forum or public posting area, whatever. Uh, how could you be surprised? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. And I avoid forums like the plague. So I, I don't know what anybody's saying and I don't care. And uh, I, I take that even into design. You know, I don't want to know what other people are doing. I don't know what, well, I don't want to know what everybody wants, put it that way. Uh, that's maybe a little egotistical to, have that approach and I don't need to talk to musicians, but uh, I think the forums are about the worst place to, uh, to look because it can, it can be really distracting. It seems like, wow, all these people really want this. And really it's like three guys in Germany who, you know, have never bought a synth in their life. So uh, it's um, no, you you can't go there. And even if you, you know, it's a musical instrument, not everybody's going to love it. You know, I, you know, I like some guitars and I don't like other guitars. I was never a Strat guy, but I like Tellys. What does that mean? Nothing. It's, it's you know, artists have their own preferences. Uh, but, you know, on the other hand, you know, we can ignore it even more because we can look at how fast our backlog of orders is growing and it's gotten a little out of hand even for us. I'm not sure how we're going to catch up. It's uh, It's been really surprising, actually. It's been awesome to, to see the orders come in. It's... Uh, it kind of, it's a validation, I suppose. Well, I have a, a very small circle of uh, friends and advisors, uh, you know, typically professional keyboard players or synth players or whatever. 
um, that I do talk to and get opinions, but I never go to them and say, what do you want? Like, <laughs> it's, it's always, uh, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. Is this stupid? And if then they'll say yes or no or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and, uh, um, but that's, that's about as far as it goes. You know, what amazes me is, is the fact that, like, like I said, I, I, I went and deep dive and I went tell about different boards and things like that. But the reality is, is, you know, musical manufacturers, they don't owe anybody anything. They're going to come up with their product and they're going to come out with it because they want to and, and at whatever price level they want. And let me just tell you this, um, you pay for quality and, and there's a big difference between knockoffs and the real thing. And one of the things that, that, excites me about having a new keyboard, especially like the Prophet, is the fact that, you know, when you get a quality keyboard, you you spin those knobs, you turn those knobs, there's a, a, a feedback that you get from the knob itself. And when you connect that to the sound of what you're doing, and as you're programming it, and you you feel it, and you hear the envelope, and you, you adjust a filter or something, there's just something great about working with really good, high-quality instruments that, that just really inspire you and and you see a lot of these comments about you know different manufacturers and blah 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 and like look you pay for quality and your instruments sequential instruments they're for a certain level they're for pros you know and it's a pro level and and it's something for people to aspire to go to and people you know to to get up to that level i i didn't start out with you know buying a profit 12 and and going i i worked my way up and i had to do it just like everybody else did but i'll tell you what once you get a really quality instrument and you start using it on a daily basis you realize how important this is and and not only that, but if you're a touring musician, I mean, not that anybody's touring right now. Anyhow, there's something about the quality about the keyboard always working when you have to perform. I mean, there's no bigger uh, pressure cooker than loading in at the last minute. And you know, in like two hours, you're going to have doors and you have to make sure that keyboard works and every keyword. So I just want to say that, you know, I love quality instruments. I love manufacturers like, like sequential and just look, this is what it is, this is what it's cost, but you, it's an investment and it really is. And it's an investment in a tool. It's much like API. API gets the same type of stuff, you know, but their stuff is built like a tank. And, and you, Dave, your, your gear is great. I mean, I love the feel of your knobs. I mean, I, I'm yeah. a total knob twister and I just, I, I just do. love that feedback. And I, and I, I don't know how to put it into like, how to communicate that to people who don't know. But when you, when you go to a cheap synth and they have that little plastic knob and you just, it just doesn't feel like quality. But when you go to a quality synth that has, you know, really good knobs and it's just, you can touch it and you can play it. it it's, it's part, I mean, it literally is, it's inspiring. It just brings something out. I mean, what do you think guys? I mean, are you agreeing with that? I don't think there's any question. Um, that's, I think that's the case with a lot of great instruments. My mini Moog, I feel the same way, but my OB6, oh my God, the feeling of the keyboard itself, the, you know, the ability that I have to be able to, you know, dig into the velocity is lovely. The feel of the rubberized wheels is lovely and the knobs are creamy as all get out. It's just a beautiful, the whole package is all done by people who very clearly know what they're doing and know how to be able to make something that feels good to somebody who, you know, is an experienced synthesis, 100% agreed. Well, it's probably fairly obvious, but uh, we are not a marketing-driven company. Um, and with only a couple of exceptions, we 
haven't really tried to hit a price point or consider uh, how much something is going to cost until we get to the end and to see what it costs. Um, and I, some people don't believe that. I mean, I've seen things like that on the forums about, oh, this should be like half of what it costs. And yeah. well, have, have you tried actually making a synthesizer? Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, we're not jacking the prices up. There is nobody, nobody makes synthesizers to get rich. And if they thought that was possible, they're morons. Uh, you, you do it because you like doing it. Yeah. And, and, and then, I'll, oh, I was just, as a sound designer, because I, I use your sense in a totally different way. There's something about the hardware that, because I'm a tone freak, that it just has a sound, has an aggressiveness, has a bite. I'm, you know, as a guitar player, um, everything has a feel and a sound. And I find with a lot of the the analog synths, and especially the hardware compared to software, there's a certain, I mean, I've used, my first synth was a Pro 1. I was a, I was a Berkeley College student. Yep, yep. I still have it. <laughs> it's in pristine condition. Um, and then, uh, so I put so many great sound effects on the Pro 1. I remember I was a live sound mixer at Disneyland, and they used to have a bunch of Prophet 5s in the back for the band, and I was always zipping in the back, programming, playing, trying to create really cool patches, and because I was really into patches. And uh, But I think there's something different uh, about an ad, a hardware device than software. I it, it just has a different bite, feel. It's the same thing with certain outboard gear. I, it just has a tone. Well, it's look and feel as much as anything, and, and the sound is just the kicker. And I, I won't go through my story that you've all heard about my epiphany after, like, uh, Seer System that Andrew mentioned, where we actually did the first soft synth ever. Uh, yeah, well, that was the, that was my first hardware after like 15 years, uh, and uh, that's. But it, it, you just realize. That's awesome. You're missing a knob, man. Hey, you need a knob. Yeah, what about that? We know yeah. some guys. <laughs> I just, <laughs> off at PS is missing a slide or two. We got a knob. Well, what it was for me, I'll try to keep this short, is Roger Lynn was working on his adrenaline, and it was taking him a little while to finish it up, so I helped him a little bit in software and a couple things. And partway through it, I realized how cool it was to hold a product have knobs that will always do the same thing. And, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I don't have to update it every two years or every six months. I'm not tied to somebody else's OS. It's my OS. I do the whole thing. And so, I mean, if you look at the Evolver desktop, there's some similarities to the Adrenaline. I mean, I kind of copied the basic matrix uh, for all the parameters that Roger had. I think I even used this, the same pick, uh, same processor, and the same DSP chip. So that's that was it, because I found myself never using uh, Reality, which is the Seer system software. And it did all this great stuff. It had, you know, uh, subtractive and additive and FM and physical modeling and samples. And it sounded reasonably good, but it was no fun. I mean, it's just yeah. no fun. So I stopped. Yeah. I never used it. I said, why am I never using it? Well, it's, if it's I, not fun. I will say I used it because remember, Andrew, when we were putting together the demos for the trade show or whatever that. Yeah. 
Mr. Rollins, I used a lot. I mean, these guys were so on the cutting edge of what became the soft synth world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, back at, what years, what years would that have been? 95, I'm guessing, 94, 95, wow. 96. That was yeah. Wow. Pioneering days back then. Yeah. Wow. When Intel came out with, was it the MMX processor? Is that what it was? Well, it was the uh, Pentiums that finally made it happen. That's right. Yeah, we actually did one for under contract to Intel for the 486. Uh, was the very first version. Uh, second version we licensed to Creative Labs, and then the third one was when computers got fast enough that we could actually do a professional version. Yeah, those were definitely pioneering days. That was not easy. <laughs> well, hey, listen, we're gonna believe it or not, we're gonna have to start wrapping this up, man. It just time just flew by. Um, but you know, I just want to mention it's you know, no one here is anti soft synth. Well, at least I'm not anti soft synth. <laughs> I don't want to speak for everybody. <laughs> but but there's you know, exactly there's just a great a great blend. And and I just think, you know, stop listening to the trolls, you know, if you're out there and reading all these boards and just, you know, if you can go and see if you can get a demo and just see what see what a real instrument is like, you know, and, and if you can't get it now, you know, don't worry about it. There's this aspirations, you know, you can, you know, if you get to a point where your music allows you to, to get that, I tell you, it's, it's, it's a really great feeling to, to arrive at certain milestones, especially gear milestones, which is something we, we should talk about probably in another podcast, you know, gear milestones, because we all have had gear milestones. Like, you know, you've made it when you hit boom, when you get this boom, boom, boom. So I think that's a great topic. I just want to thank Dave and Andrew for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much, guys. It was so great to get the insight and get some stories. And I really appreciate it. Um, Thanks Dave, for having so us. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. That was fun. And I want to say that uh, Dave is holds a special place for the Audio Nowcast because he was on episode number one of our web series Spaces, so you can check it out. Um, and it was a really great interview. And he was also he's also been a guest on the podcast, and he told some really great stories about the you know the early days and about you know basically inventing MIDI <laughs> and all the other wonderful stuff. So uh, it's there's just a lot of good uh, good times with Dave Smith on the Audio Nowcast. And uh, so I just got to thank you. Um, before we get going, is, is anybody working on anything they want to they wanna talk about? Um, Nick, you working on anything fun and exciting you can talk about? Uh, yeah, I, there's been something that I've been keeping back for quite some time, and now I can talk about it because it's out in the wild. It's really interesting. Um, the two different sides of, of my life along these lines. So uh, the Disney stores asked me to write a song, which uh, they're currently using in a contest all over the country because kids can't go out and go trick-or-treating this year. And so the result of that is that um, I wrote a dance number for them that they recorded and you can go and you can dance in your favorite Disney costume to the music and then send your video in and then you're eligible for like a $1,000 you know, gift certificate, that kind of thing. So um, I'd been working on that for a while and I was really excited that that's out in the world and I hope that it brings some kids some happiness this Halloween. Um, and then on the other, you know, and then on the completely other side, I just finished 
getting all of my social media stuff completely rejiggered. So um, I put all my music up on Bandcamp. I, you know, redid my, I redid my Under the Big Tree vid, uh, website that was about all the YouTube videos that I do about synthesizers, and I created nicholaspeck.com, which talks more about, you know, the actual serious compositional side of what I do. So I've got all this weird artsy synthesizer music on one side, and then like dance music for Disney on the other side. Well, that's cool. I got to check that out, because I know you, you're a heady guy, and I know your compositions are, are pretty, pretty cool. Anybody else want to plug anything really quick before we roll? I don't want to plug anything, but I have a quick request for uh, Dave and Andrew. I think I have the perfect idea for another feature for the vintage knob. Okay. So, see behind me is my 40-year-old Prophet 5 with its crooked <laughs> smile. Yeah. I think you should make it where on the new one, you turn the vintage knob, the keys slowly, like... <laughs> the key bushings <laughs> fall apart. Key Start bushings. clicking. They start clicking and the keys like become all uneven. <laughs> well, you know what we could do, actually. Uh, you know how if you don't, if, if you haven't cleaned it in like twenty minutes, how they, you know, you, know, you get multiple triggers. We could do that in software. <laughs> yeah. that would be the ultimate random. Or and it's random because some keys will work. Other keys will bounce more. Other keys will bounce a little. See, we we missed the opportunity. We had, you know, we got the spring reverb thing in the Prophet 6. We could have had J-wires in the uh, Rev 4. Does everybody know the secret uh, spring reverb thing in the Prophet 6? No. Oh, oh awesome. We never, we never caught up to it. If you had the spring reverb effect on and you're playing, if you whack the side of it, you get... A spring reverb twang. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. I love it. I I think, love it. Does the OB6 do that too? I should. I don't know why yeah, it we should. wouldn't have. It's the same main board. It still has the That's great. Yeah, Nick, you can try that out. I just could not imagine hitting the side of my OB6. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'll have to give it a shot. Try and give it a good whack. Don't, uh, not a little tap. You got to... Uh, I, don't, I just have to take your word on that one. Ah, <laughs> uh, try it. Have some fun. All right. Hey. Fix it. Uh, before we go, besides the spring weaver, I mean... You guys working on anything you can talk about? We're, you know, we, you can't stop us. I love this instrument. I just brought my, I got the very first Prophet down off the line, uh, I think last week, I think on Friday, yeah. but I haven't had a chance to bring it home. I live in St. Helena and it's like I'm on fire up here. So we bailed and evacuated for a week, but now we're back. And today was the first time I was able to plug it in. I have a real nice wire system here with the sub. Man, that sounds so good. Anyhow, I, I diverge a little because it sounds so good and we love it to death, but we're all going crazy over the next two products we're working on. And we're actually working on two in tandem, and they're both pretty far along, and they're going to be awesome, but I'm not going to tell you shit about them. <laughs> and, and we're not we're not counting the uh, Profit Five and Ten desktop modules. No, no. Module versions are out. In fact, we just got the first one put together today, and uh, so we'll be posting photos of it uh, and hopefully shipping around the end of the year. But no, those don't count. That's amazing. Well, Dave, you are the coolest man in synthesis right now. Look at that. Look at that shot right there. I love this picture because mm. it's just you doing your thing, you know, and it's pretty, pretty awesome. So once again, 
Thank you guys so much for joining us. And um, if you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. And if you have any comments or questions for Dave and Andrew, um, they're not going to read them anyhow, so don't. don't. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure you can send them an email. All right. For myself and all the guys, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. We do it all for you, Glenn. Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. 